So we're going to do Second uh, Corinthians 2, 12 through 14, or actually it's 12 and 13. Um, and uh, I'm going to, this is like a, it's a kind of a, so you need to understand how the Apostle Paul, quote unquote, wrote these letters. The Apostle Paul didn't sit down and write, okay? You might write a text at your phone, right? You type it in. Old school, we might have written, and maybe you still do, write a birthday card. Does anybody still write birthday cards? I do. Okay. Christmas cards, right? So, I mean, I I actually have reasonably decent handwriting. Um, my stepdad had really, really, he was like a man's man. He really was. He was like, you know old school man's man, but he had beautiful handwriting and it just inspired me. So I would actually, when I was, I'm talking like 12, 13 years old, I would practice my handwriting, right? I I just, you know, I wanted to have, so yeah, I have reasonably good handwriting and I used to think I had really good printing, okay? Until I substitute taught for a first grade class. I don't know how first grade teachers do it, but they are able to write the most perfect letters right on the board. Now, I thought I was doing well. I got up there in front of this group of first graders. I'm like, you know what? I've got their attention, whatever. And I wrote on the board and this little kid raised their hand and said, your writing is ugly. I looked at my writing and I was like, well, it's not really ugly. It's just, it's not perfectly straight. Because I remember being in like first and second grade, you know, and you know how they had those. Oh, gosh, y'all, some of you are older, some of you are younger, but I can remember they used to have that. It was like a wire um, thing that had chalk in each of the, the 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 racks or something, and they would go draw these perfect lines across the board, and then they would write the letters. And I was trying, I was trying. All that to say, we think of writing a letter as sitting down and composing. That's not the way Paul did it. He dictated it. He this is preaching. He did, on a far higher level, what I'm doing right now. And somebody sat there and wrote it down. That's the way, really, almost every single letter or gospel that we have in the New Testament, right? Now, the the Old Testament is a different story for the most part. But um, the gospels... uh, were probably written by the person that is the author, right? Um, Except Mark. Okay, the Gospel of Mark is probably the earliest gospel, and the earliest church tradition we have says that it was the preaching of Peter that John Mark wrote down, okay? So the Gospel of Mark, and really probably every letter that we have, um, are, they're dictated, and so there was a there was a secretary that wrote that down. The secretary, uh, there's a technical name for that, and that's an emanuensis. 
And I've gone over, I won't go over the details now, but I've gone over the details previously where um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is a good example where the Apostle Paul says, I didn't baptize anybody. And then he says, oh, stop. No, I baptized so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, but I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. That's written down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you were writing that, you wouldn't include that. Yeah, you would, yeah. Right? Yeah, you, would you would just say, oh, no, strike that, you know, delete that, edit that out, whatever. But no, it's there. I love it. Because it gives you insight into what's going on. So this is what the Apostle Paul is doing when he writes these letters. He's dictating them. He's preaching them. It's, it's just, you know, flowing through him. And I love this because the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And this is why I think it's really important for us not only to read, but also to to recite, to, to hear these things out loud. So in this church, I hope you pay attention. I read a lot of scripture, right? I, you know, I don't know, you know, based on the size of our church and the way people respond, I don't know whether people appreciate um, what we do here, but we try to give this to you because I want you to take the word of God seriously. I want that word to flow across your hearing and I want you to be inspired and to have faith, right? So this is only two verses and it's very historical, but I'm going to help you. The Apostle Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them, that is the people in Troas, and went on to Macedonia. Okay, so Podani didn't bring me my laser pointer, so I can't do this. Go ahead, uh, Elijah, and put that put that map of the uh, Paul's third missionary journey up there on the screen, because these place names don't necessarily make a lot of sense to you until you can see a uh, a map, right? So, First Corinthians was written from Ephesus. The Apostle Paul was in a very, very fruitful ministry in Ephesus, okay? He wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. Um, and um, he's trying to put out some fires in that church. This is why I've called this study in First and Second Corinthians God's dysfunctional people, right? So let's back up before that. Paul started the church in Corinth, right? So... Uh, this map is a, a tiny bit small, but if you see the red lines that are up there, that's Paul's third missionary journey. And if you go to the furthest uh, left on your screen, the furthest west, okay, and you go kind of down to the middle of the screen, but it's the, the lowest point where you see the red lines, um, Corinth is down there. Achaia is that region uh, that is uh, that is down there where those red lines kind of circle around, right? That's part of Greece. Macedonia is a little bit north of that. That's up in uh, that area where you see a lot of those red lines crisscrossing, uh, going over and around. Now, this is this is one interpretation of what took place, right? Um, 
this is indicating that the Apostle Paul uh, didn't do a lot of traveling across the Aegean. That's that little uh, sea that's right there in between the two land masses, okay? So over on your right, okay, the east, that's Asia Minor. And over on your left, that's west, that is essentially Greece, okay? And if you go further west, you can see Italy over there, and, you know, Rome is over there. You see Sicily down there, okay? Um, this map is, is plenty detailed, but it's a little bit maybe hard for you to see. So the Apostle Paul started the church at Corinth, and then after 18 months, year and a half, um, he left Corinth, and he traveled over to Ephesus, and Ephesus is over to your right in Asia Minor. If you kind of trace your eyes around, you can see Ephesus over there, down about the, the top of the lower third of that landmass that is over here on your, on your right across the Aegean. The Aegean is that blue sea that pushes up between the two landmasses. And he saw that there was going to be some interest in the gospel in Ephesus, but he didn't really have freedom from the Lord that that's where he needed to be yet. So he left a couple of his companions there, Priscilla and Aquila, um, all three of them. Priscilla and Aquila were a couple, all right? Uh, a, a married couple, a, a male and female married couple. In our weird world, I have to say that. Um, and uh, they, were, they were in the tent-making trade. The Apostle Paul, that's what he did in order to make money when he wasn't receiving donations from church churches. He made tents. So um, he had met them in Corinth after they had been kicked out of Rome. Um, I, I want to say it's the Emperor Claudius kicked all of the Jews out of Rome at one point in time because of a, just a complete uproar that was largely, uh, at least according to one account, based on uh, Jesus, right? The disagreement about whether Jesus was the Messiah. So Claudius just said, y'all get out of here. And I want to say that was AD 49. So they ended up in Corinth. Corinth is a very metropolitan city. Uh, it's a center of commerce. I won't go into all of the details, um, but there is a lot of commerce going through Corinth. Um, think of commercial cities in the United States, uh, you know, like New York um, or, you know, go over on the West Coast. There's a lot of commerce that has especially now with the tech industry that goes through, uh, say, San Francisco. And so as a result, these cities are very metropolitan. There are a lot of people that visit them because, you know, they're trading. Okay. So that was definitely the case with Corinth. So the Apostle Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. He goes across the Aegean. Now this, well, it doesn't indicate that he, he took a ship across. Um, it just really depends on who you pay attention to, right? Um, but he came across over here to Asia Minor. And actually, that's, this is the third missionary journey. And what I'm, what I'm discussing is actually the end of what is called the second missionary journey. So he went across to Ephesus. He saw there was uh, a, 
some potential that was there, but he, he had some commitments. And so he ended up leaving Ephesus, ended up going all the way down. Now you're going to go down to the bottom of your map over on the right, okay? And um, you're going to, to see that there is a, there's a city down there called Caesarea, okay? I don't know if you can read it or not. It's one of the last place names here at the bottom of the map over on the right, right on the east side. Uh, so this is the end of the second missionary journey. He goes to Caesarea, then he goes to Jerusalem, and then he goes back up to, uh, to Antioch. So that's where the third missionary journey starts. So that's, if you go up this landmass that's over here on the far right on the east, you'll see Antioch. This is Syrian Antioch. There were a number of cities that had similar place names. But this is Antioch in Syria, which is one of the, the first major uh, Gentile missionary churches, okay? In fact, uh, Syrian Antioch, uh, that was the church that the Apostle Paul was first brought to to teach. And that was the church that sent him out on the first and the, really the second uh, missionary journeys, okay? So he goes up to Syria and Antioch, and then that's where the third missionary journey starts. That's where you see this red, where he starts bouncing around. He goes through, uh, it says Cappadocia, but this is, uh, he goes over to the Galatian region. Then he comes over into Asia Minor. Now, he goes over to Ephesus. He's in Ephesus for two full years. He has an incredibly fruitful ministry there. But there's also a whole lot of drama that goes on in Ephesus. While he's in Ephesus, he encounters uh, these difficulties with Corinth. He's, he's, these people have come over and visited him from Achaia. That's the region that Corinth is located in. Corinth is the city. Achaia is the region, like, kind of like a state. Um, and there are people that visit him and indicate that there's some sort of a problem. So he writes a letter. He sends it over. We don't have that letter. Okay, our first Corinthians is actually, as I've said to you before, is actually probably second Corinthians. So um, he sends a letter over there to try to, you know, address the, the issues that they have. Okay, that didn't cut it. It didn't work out. Okay, so he goes over there and he makes a visit to them. And then he writes our first Corinthians. Okay. So there is a, there's an author, and this guy is uh, very, very uh, well-versed in, in Paul and Acts and the letters of Paul. His name is F.F. F. Bruce, okay? And he's written, um, this, is, this is his book about the life of Paul. It's called Paul, Apostle of the Heart Set Free. So our first Corinthians is that second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to them to try to address all of these myriad of issues that were going on with this church. And that still didn't do the trick, okay? So um, what I'm going to do, I've covered this before, but um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read F.F. F. Bruce's account of all of this. And, and I know this is very historical, but when you read these letters, it, it just really helps you understand what's going on if you, if you know the context, right? So 
when Paul sent off this letter, 1 Corinthians, or what F.F. Bruce calls Corinthians B, which, as I've said before, our 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. We don't have the first letter he sent them, but we have the first letter that the Lord has providentially preserved for us as inspired, okay? When Paul sent off this letter, 1 Corinthians or Corinthians B, he expected to follow it up with a personal visit. He planned to stay on at Ephesus for a few more weeks, at least until Pentecost, probably A.D. 55, F.F. Bruce thinks. Meanwhile, he sent Timothy. Now, remember, Timothy is his protege, his, uh, um, you know, um, the young man that was following up with Paul and serving in the ministry. And it was going to basically take over for Paul. He sent Timothy ahead of him and asked the Corinthians to make him, that is Timothy, feel at home among them. After Pentecost, he himself would cross the Aegean to Macedonia. So if you look at the map, Macedonia is up there um, on the, the furthest left, okay, the furthest west, but it's up higher, okay? Macedonia was where Paul was originally called, um, in the second missionary journey where he started the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica, which you know these because we have Philippians and we have First and Second Thessalonians. He wrote the letters to those churches as well. Okay. Um, after Pentecost, he himself would cross the Aegean to Macedonia, visit his churches there, and then make his way south to Corinth. So then he would go down, right, where he hoped to spend the winter. Soon afterwards, he modified this plan and let the Corinthians know that he would visit them twice, once on his way to Macedonia, and then he'd go down, and once on his way back from there. Now, all of this is in Scripture. Um, This is condensed, and this is the way uh, this fellow is presenting it for us. After the second of these visits, this is his original plan, he would sail in the spring for Palestine along with the delegates of the churches which were contributing to the Jerusalem Relief Fund. So if you remember from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has already asked them to begin collecting money for the poor at Jerusalem. A number of factors made it impossible for this modified plan to be carried out. One of these was news of further trouble in the church of Corinth, which compelled Paul to pay it an urgent visit The letter recently received by the church had evidently not been so effective as Paul had hoped in checking those tendencies of which he expressed his approval. And when Timothy arrived, he was quite unable to enforce Paul's direction. So Timothy was somewhat, he was young and he was more timid. Um, And we see this, we have letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, first and second Timothy toward the end of your, uh, your New Testament. It may indeed have been Timothy who brought back the news which made Paul decide that nothing would serve but a direct confrontation with the church. A confrontation, it proved to be a painful experience for Paul and his converts alike. So now the Apostle Paul goes over there because there's a serious problem. Okay? Now, this may well have related to uh, the issue that I spoke about last time and which we covered in 1 Corinthians, where there was a man in the Corinthian church who was having sex with his stepmother. Now, I don't know if that disturbs you or not. Our culture has become very, very lenient and accepting about a variety of behaviors. But even in the ancient pagan world, that would have been disturbing. 
you don't have intimate relations with your stepmom. That's just right. Yeah. And so the Apostle Paul, if you read 1 Corinthians 5, had essentially out of hand excommunicated this fellow. So there's a lot of speculation, but the likelihood is that not everybody in the Corinthian church was willing to accept that. So the Apostle Paul goes over there and says, no, this is what you're going to do. This is right. You don't, um, you don't call grace this kind of egregious sin where you're just you know, doing whatever you want to do. Now, Going all the way back to when we started studying uh, the Corinthian letters, Corinth was a sexually immoral city. It kind of reminds me of, you know, maybe I already mentioned San Francisco, right? The so San Francisco maybe is a good example of this. Um, but there were many reasons for this. It was a very commercial city. There were a lot of people from all over the world. Um, but there was also a temple to Aphrodite there, the goddess of love, and there's at least one ancient writer, Strabo, who says there were no fewer than a thousand prostitutes who came down from Aphrodite's temple to, let us say, ply their wares. This got so bad that there was actually a Greek verb meaning to Corinthianize. That's the literal of it. And to Corinthianize meant that you just kind of let it all go. You just got sexually involved in whatever way you wanted to get involved. You got drunk. You know, today we would just think of, you know, people getting drunk and high and just doing whatever they wanted to do sexually. And that happened a lot in Corinth. Well, this is the city where the gospel was brought. And grace is taught to these people. So there were some who were taking grace for granted and thinking, well, if that's the case, then we can just kind of go on sinning. We can go on uh, involving ourselves in these sexual practices. And there were reasons uh, for that that they brought to bear that came from Greek philosophy. Um, Plato had taught that there was a, a division between body and mind and that the body was kind of lower and your body's going to die anyway. So it really doesn't matter what you do with the body. Only matters what you do with the mind. And so these guys took it to the next level and said, well, it's, you know, it's physical and spiritual. And as long as I'm spiritual, I can do whatever I want to do with my body. Okay. And we saw that in first Corinthians, uh, when we heard the quote, um, uh, food is for the body and the body is for food. Right. And then they extended that to, to say sex is for the body and the body is for sex. So they were like, it doesn't really matter. You can just do whatever you want to do physically because that there's a, there's a significant um, divide between the physical and the spiritual, between the mental, right, and the bodily. And so this is the way these people thought. This was probably the rationale behind just kind of doing whatever they wanted to do. The Apostle Paul said, nope, that's not acceptable, okay? Um. So it's likely that this man and the situation where the church was accepting that he was sleeping with his stepmom. Now, we, I, I don't know that we kind of get this today because lots of people attend church, right? Like, you know, I've seen since I've been teaching right now, I've seen a number of people that have walked by the back door here and looked in. 
And they're just checking it out. They want to see what's going on. I've had times when, you know, people have just walked in and sat down or whatever. But that's just, we're not talking about the same thing as we're talking about when we look at um, these ancient churches. These people were separating themselves out from the pagan world or from the traditional Jewish world and following Jesus. And it made them very different, right? And we should be different. That's what holy means, Holy means that we're, we're more like God. We're more like Jesus. And that makes us different from the world. If we're exactly the same as the world, then we haven't figured that out yet. Okay. So the apostle Paul made this very, very strong pronouncement against that sin. And it may well have been that that was the cause of this problem. Okay. Um, Back to F.F. Bruce. But he could not leave the Corinthian situation as it was. He composed... So what happened is he went there. I'm sorry. Let me, let me jump up a little further. Um, the letter recently received by the church had evidently not been so effective as Paul had hoped in checking those tendencies of which he expressed his approval. And when Timothy arrived, he was quite unable to enforce Paul's directions. It may indeed have been... Timothy, who brought back the news, which Paul, which made Paul decide nothing would serve but a direct confrontation with the church, a confrontation. It proved to be a painful experience for Paul and his converts alike. In fact, he calls it a painful visit in first Corinthians two, excuse me, second Corinthians two, our letter right now. The opposition to Paul came to a head, and one member of the church in particular took the lead in defying his authority. The others took no effective action in Paul's defense, and Paul, deeply humiliated, left, the, left Corinth. So they just said, we're not listening to you. Now, there was a lot of division, and we see that in 1 Corinthians. So they were not united. But there was a, apparently a strong group that was not willing to pay attention to Paul and respect his authority, in spite of the fact that he was the one that started the church. But he, that is Paul, could not leave the Corinthian situation as it was. He composed a stinging letter to the church. And now it quotes our letter, 2 Corinthians. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. That's 2 Corinthians 2.3. And he sent it to Corinth. Now, the stinging letter is not our 2 Corinthians. It's not 1 Corinthians. He sent a letter to Corinth that came before 1 Corinthians. Then he wrote 1 Corinthians, which is very long, 16 chapters we have it divided into. Okay? And then he sent this stinging letter after his painful visit. We don't have that letter either. Right? Then he wrote this letter that we're reading right now. This is 2 Corinthians. So as I've said before, our 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, and our 2 Corinthians is really... Fourth Corinthians. It just gets really confusing, doesn't it? But you don't have to remember that. Just, you know, remember that the Apostle Paul was carrying on correspondence with his church, and the Lord has not seen fit to uh, providentially preserve those other letters, okay? Um, so he sent this uh, stinging letter to Corinth by the hand of Titus. This is a stronger personality than Timothy. He's an older man. We may call this letter, F.F. Uh, Bruce calls it Corinthians C. So as I said, uh, this becomes 3 Corinthians, right? Which we don't have. 
it is doubtful any part of it survives. When Titus set off with it, Paul immediately began to be sorry that he had sent it. Its severe tone might produce the desired effect, but it might, on the other hand, exacerbate the situation. In it, that is, in this letter, we don't have this this sternly worded letter that is referred to in 2 Corinthians, okay? Um, He assured the Corinthians of his love for them, but demanded that they give evidence of the love which they profess for him by acknowledging his apostolic authority and taking disciplinary measures against the man who had defied it. He assured Titus, as he gave him the letter to take it to Corinth, that the Corinthian Christians were sound at heart and that they would give proof of their true quality by gladly rendering the obedience which the letter demanded. He now had to wait and see if his confident assurance was well-founded or not. Well, it was at the time of the early writing of 2 Corinthians. Now, many interpreters believe this 2 Corinthians was actually written in two stages, okay? Uh, Verses, excuse me, verses, chapters 1 through 9 were written, and then chapters 10 through 13 were written. We'll get into that later. So, going back, uh, this is what I have in my notes. Remember, Paul had been in Ephesus for two years. During the latter part of the Ephesian ministry, he wrote and sent our first Corinthians. Next, he made a painful visit to Corinth to correct additional problems. Then Paul made a quick exit from Ephesus because of a riot incited by the silversmith Demetrius. And you can find this in Acts 19, 23 through 41. It was during this time period that he experienced the previously mentioned affliction in Asia. This may have been a combination of stressors, including anguish over the troubled Corinthian church, the threat of bodily harm from persecutors, maybe even some kind of physical illness or affliction. As we observed previously, Paul felt he might die from whatever he was suffering. So, you know, I know a lot of us think, okay, you know, these are the saints and, you know, they don't have any problems and, you know. I, here I am in 21st century and, you know, I've got all these issues and I don't have the kind of faith that Paul had. I, I want to tell you, Paul was going through some very, very serious trauma and drama here. I mean, he, to the degree that, it, you know, if you remember what we read, he said he felt like he was under the sentence of death. I mean, has your depression ever gotten to the point where you just felt like you wanted to die? I hope not, but maybe. But I want you to know that this is the Apostle Paul who experienced this. Now, he was going through things that you and I haven't, okay? In fact, as we get later in this letter, we're going to see, you know, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was constantly worrying about these churches. So there's plenty of reasons for him to feel this way that were not selfish reasons. So um, we still got the map up here. If we look at a map of Paul's third missionary journey, of which the current historical narrative is a part, it may be observed that Troas is on the western edge of Asia Minor with a port on the Aegean Sea. It's part of the Troad Plain, a region that is 10 miles long. Of interest, by the way, is the fact that the famed city of Troy is on the same plain, 10 miles south of Troas. Even though there was opportunity to preach the gospel in Troas, Paul was burdened about the Corinthian church. He had sent Titus there. Now, this is in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? This is this letter we don't have. He had sent Titus there with a stern disciplinary letter and had not heard back. So he's worried. 
I, I mean, I'm, I expressed this a lot to you guys last week, but, you know, pastors worry. We worry about you. You know, you ask us to pray and we pray for you, and then people just don't show up at church. Or you think, well, I just didn't feel like it. But we worry about you. What's going on? How are you doing? If I call you, you think maybe that I'm just checking up on you and it seems like I'm trying to load you up with guilt and get back to church. If I don't call you, you don't think I care. So it's very challenging, right? We're concerned about you. We want to know what's going on with you. Even people that don't go to my church, you know, my own mom. I'm like, I hadn't heard from her in a while. I was like, hey, are you doing all right? I haven't heard anything from you in a while, right? I want to know that people are all right. If people are making other decisions about their life and, you know, they're, they don't feel compelled to go to church, well, that hurts me too, frankly. But as long as I know, you know, people are all right, then it certainly makes me feel better, okay? Uh, but the Apostle Paul uh, was that pastorly figure, and he certainly worried about his people as, as well, okay? So while he was in Troas, there was an opportunity to preach the gospel, but he was burdened about the Corinthian church. So he sent Titus there with that stern disciplinary letter, and he hadn't heard back. Titus was supposed to have met Paul in Troas, but Titus didn't show up. Tension mounted. Paul then crossed the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, up there over on the far left, the west side. And as I mentioned before, Macedonia was where he started the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica. He also started a church that we don't have a letter for um, at Berea. Okay. Now, what follows in 2 Corinthians, what I'm going to read next and what we're going to go through, I'm going to read the verses and then next week we'll cover them. Uh, what follows is uh, that Paul pauses the historical narrative and he inserts really some of the most powerful theological teaching in the New Testament. When we rejoin the story in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, we find that Paul continued to experience trouble. He called it fighting without and fear within, fighting on the outside and fear on the inside. However, he did meet up with Titus and was comforted by the news from Corinth. So this week has been a lot of history, right? And not a lot of practical. But hopefully, at the very least, what you've gotten is that this towering saint, the Apostle Paul, also went through depression and worry and was opposed, right? So... You know, people like me in churches like this, <clears throat> you know, I think, well, because we don't have thousands of members and, you know, I haven't written 10 books or something like that. Um, I'm not doing anything that is as meaningful as someone else. But when I look at the Apostle Paul, I can say, you know what? I, I care for you and I do. Right. Maybe I don't do it as well as I should. Maybe I don't communicate it as well as I should. I don't know. Um but I do. I want the best for you. I want you to follow Jesus. Whatever your opinions are about all of these issues that are going on in our world, I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to pay attention to the word of God. I want your life to be blessed. I want things to go well. I want you to be in health, right? But I don't want that at the expense of your relationship with Jesus. 
If the Lord's got to bring you through some things to get you to bow the knee to him, okay, then so be it. But bow the knee to him. Let me read these final verses. I've just got about a minute and a half, but it's in time to read these verses so that you'll be prepared for next week. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And this was my idea about the being in Jesus parade that I promoted this with. So obviously I'm going to have to change the title of this and make that the title next week. <laughs> but thanks be to God who is who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That's Jesus parade. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of the word of God, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So when, I'm just going to just kind of set the tone for next week. When you represent Jesus, that's going to smell good to some people and smell bad to other people. Okay. What do you think of when you smell roses? Anybody think of a funeral? You follow what I'm saying here? So it's like that smell can trigger different things and different people, right? So people that are opposed to Jesus, when you represent him, they're not going to respond well to you. But you shouldn't take that on the chin. In fact, you should take it as, uh, you know, um, encouragement that you're going the right direction. They're doing, you're doing the right thing. There are people, I used to drive for Uber and Lyft, okay? Rideshare, driving all over. I, I've thought about going back to it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Uh, the Lord doesn't seem to be letting me do that. But um, I would always bring up uh, that I was a pastor. And I would just let that hang in the air. People that didn't want to have anything to do with the church or God or whatever would just, man, they would just clam up. And I wouldn't keep pushing. Listen, I'm not interested in selling anything to people. If that makes them feel bad or mad or whatever... I would just go on talking and I wouldn't talk anymore about, you know, those sorts of things. Okay. I would just try to be nice to them to show them that, hey, a pastor can drive for Uber and be cool. If that's all they got out of it, then they're like, oh, maybe I misjudged this. But then you'd have people that are like, oh, really? Where's your church? You know, ask questions, carry on a conversation. When you represent Jesus, that is a sweet-smelling, fragrant aroma to some people, and it's a stench to other people. Don't stop representing Jesus on the basis of how other people react. Amen? Amen. That's what we'll talk about more next week. So thank you for joining us online.